from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice cries out, proclaim a message. What message shall I proclaim, I ask? Proclaim that all human beings are like grass. They last no longer than wild flowers. Grass withers and flowers fade when the Lord sends the wind blowing over them. People are no more enduring than grass. Yes, grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Watching that video and just picking out the highlights, the headlines that they focused on, um, certainly calls to mind the reason why God had to send his son into the world. As we focus on one last time on Isaiah chapter 40, I'd like you to focus or think about the word home. That very word evokes feelings of love and laughter, security, serenity, warmth and welcome. When you think of home, you begin to think of mom and dad, fun and games, good food, deep sleep. Think of some of the famous songs with home in them. Home, home on the range. Or when Johnny comes marching home again. Or maybe that little girl Dorothy from Kansas who said it best, there's no place like home. Well, in our text, Isaiah is addressing the people of Israel who were living in Babylon in the 6th century B.C. And those exiles were far, far from home. You see, they had faced a monstrous reality called Babylon, a fire-breathing horror that had destroyed everything that they had put their hope in. In 586, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. People were taken a thousand miles away into captivity in Babylon. And there, gathered by the waters of Babylon, the exiles were wondering, what about God? Is our God for real? If God is real, does he still care for us? How can we just believe in a God who lost the war? Why shouldn't we worship the Babylonian gods? After all, they won, didn't they? These exiles were stuck in a land with a strange land filled with canals and ziggurat towers and the Tigris and Euphrates River and the, the statues and idols of, of their powerful enemy. The comfortable sights of Jerusalem and Jordan had been replaced by the building projects of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And those people felt lost away from their home. They had no king, no temple, no royal city, no land, no liturgy, no sacrifice, no hope, no future, no song to sing. For how could they sing the songs of God when they were stuck in a foreign land? So Isaiah pictures them as, as a people weeping, reminiscing about the good old days when they worshipped in the splendor of Solomon's temple, when they shopped in the city of David, when they went for a walk on the Mount of Olives. Oh God, they cried out, there's no place like home. And into that situation comes the prophet Isaiah. As the scene opens up, a voice cries out, the voice of God that says, Proclaim a message. And the prophet Isaiah responds, 
what shall I say? You can almost sense the prophet's hesitation. What could he say in this awful situation? Even if he tried to comfort the people, even if he told them of God's glory, he was just afraid that the whole thing would simply not last very long. After all, this people had spent years after year after century rebelling against God, coming back when they were chastened, but immediately going their own way and falling out of the covenant relationship. These weren't really, they really weren't acting like God's people. They were sinners. They always had been. They always would be. So what message could God probably, possibly have to say to them? So God said to Isaiah, here's the message. All flesh is grass, and all its loyal love is like the flower of the fields. God was acknowledging exactly what Isaiah had said. These people were not going to save themselves. These people were not going to change themselves from sinners into saints. These people weren't going to turn themselves around. These people had been chastised and chastised and chastised, and they just didn't get it. All of their attempts at glory were like a flower that blooms and fades and dies. Those Israelites in exile were not only far away from home, more pressing, they were far away from their father, God. God often referred to Israel as his firstborn son. And like the prodigal son in the story in the New Testament, they had ran away from their father. They demanded their inheritance. They said, yeah, 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 we know all about your gods, and we know all what you want us to do, and we know all about the promises you made, but we want something flashy. We want different gods. We want to do things our way. We want to, to tell you, God, what it is that we should do. And then, August 19th, 586 B.C., Babylonians came in and just wiped Jerusalem off the face of the earth. The temple destroyed, not two bricks on top of another. All the sacred vessels that they had built in the wilderness, all the things that they had built for worship, gone, taken, destroyed, nothing left. For Israel, it was the day that the music died. Looking at that video again, or thinking about that video again, just as Israel was far away from the Lord, don't we also find ourselves feeling like we're far away from the Lord? The events of this life, the, the news headlines, the, the plans that don't work out, sometimes we find ourselves far away from the Father. It's the way we tend to operate. We are, again, right here, exiled in the Babylons of our own making. We have demanded our fair share of the inheritance. We've set off for distant lights, for seductive sounds. We've sold our baptismal heritage and ended up with a life that we've tried to make on our own. We've, we've tried to do it our way, and it just doesn't work. And we're left with no song to sing. Like we're in exile, like we're separated, like there's no hope. Sometimes, to get through hard times, it helps to think or to believe 
to pray that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. The example I can think of is the example of pregnancy. Things like morning sickness, constant visits to the doctor, not being able to fit into your clothes, aches, pains, sleepless night can make pregnancy seem like it's stressful and difficult. And then, of course, there's the matter of labor, which is regarded as one of the most painful things a human being has to regularly go through. Now, I'm speculating here, but I believe that God in his wisdom gave women the gift of childbearing because he knew that men probably wouldn't take the pain. But that's the hope. You see, there's light at the end of that tunnel. There's the joy of meeting a newborn baby. I was talking to somebody this afternoon who was rejoicing because they're going to have a grandchild in 10 days. They know when it's coming, and they've already given it a name, and they're rejoicing because they see hope at the end of this tunnel. Light at the end of a tunnel brings hope. Just when the music had died and Israel's history seemed closed off and controlled by a foreign power, God sent Isaiah with a message of hope. Isaiah kept saying again and again, your time in exile is one of the darkest periods in your history. Like he says to us, our periods of darkness and loneliness, those are real and we experience them. But they're passing. They're transitory. They're going to move, we're going to move beyond that. There's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. As you read through the prophet Isaiah again and again and again, he gives these comforting words, words that are very familiar to you. Words like Isaiah 7.14, that God will give you a sign. A child shall be born to a virgin, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse, verses 2 and following, Isaiah said, the people who were walking in darkness talking about the Israelites, talking about us, people who have been walking in darkness, what? Have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what's that light? What's that promise? What's that hope? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah talks about a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. It's a wonderful picture. You've ever seen a tree that's been cut off, and then eventually a little shoot will come growing up off that tree, and if you wait long enough, a whole other tree will grow up from that stump. Isaiah said a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. That's the promise that God gives. This gave them hope and confidence in the future. Later, Isaiah would expand on that message with good news. God is going to send a servant, a servant who is willing to be wounded for our transgressions, who is willing to be crushed for our iniquities, who is willing to take on himself our sin. Again, familiar words from Isaiah. Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
For we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In our personal moments of darkness, it's that light of hope, that light of promise that shines. Guaranteeing this deliverance is the power and faithfulness of God's word. These promises aren't going to come back empty, our first reading said. God said it. God promised it. Faith believes it. And that promise is this. The word of the Lord shall remain forever. That's a defiant, nevertheless, God's word is indestructible. God's promises are forever fixed in the heavens. And that the, the whole promise of this prophecy uh, turns on that point. The word of our God. It takes us all the way back to the beginning. When God promised to Adam and to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to all the patriarchs and throughout the whole Old Testament, God promised that he would come, that he would be the deliverer, that he would be the redeemer. That word of promise. Very simply put, God said, I will be your God. I will be God to you. And you will be my people. And the promise is that we don't earn that title of God's people, but he gives it to us. He calls us. In our baptism, he incorporates us as sons and daughters of God. And he says, I am your God. You are my people. The entire book of Isaiah is dominated by this profound theology of God's word as a powerful promise that's going to overcome everything that stands between us and our God. Our spiritual life is dependent on hearing and responding to that word. When Isaiah exhorts Israel to hear the word of God, the only proper response can be for them is to tremble that they are hearing the word of God. The followers of Martin Luther during the Lutheran Reformation uh, wore four, uh, a little symbol with four letters on it. The letters were V-D-M-A. And they stood for the Latin word Verbum Dei Manet En Aeternum. The word of the Lord remains forever. So when you see, saw Luther's followers or Luther's students, they would wear these little badges, VDMA, and you go into their house, there'd be a little sign over their door, VDMA. So that day after day after day, they would be reminded by when they looked at each other, when they looked at their clothes, when they entered their house, the word of the Lord remains forever. That was their light. That was their hope. That was their promise. The story is told one day of three men at a hospital. These three men were anxiously waiting for their wives to have babies. A nurse came in and said to the first man, Congratulations, you are the father of twins. He exclaimed, How appropriate. You see, I'm the shortstop for the Minnesota Twins. A few minutes later, the nurse said to the second man, Congratulations, you are the father of triplets. And he said, wow, that's amazing. You see, I work for 3M Corporation. At that, the third man jumped up and ran out of the hospital. Why are you leaving, the nurse asked. He said, 
I don't like the way things are going. I work for 7-Up. <laughs> that would be a miraculous birth, wouldn't it? But you see, that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're preparing to celebrate in Advent. A miraculous birth. When all the wrappings and tinsel are in the trash, when the tree is brown in the backyard, when the wheels have come off the bike, when all the batteries and the new toys are dead, the gift that God gives us at Christmas will never rust or fall apart or self-destruct or run out of power. In the midst of all of our temporary gifts, the best gift of all is Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the flesh. In Bethlehem, this faithful word took on flesh and blood and had a heart. We read in Galatians, When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, Jesus knew about being away from home, being lonely, being isolated. He lived, exiles from his, he lived as an exile from his father's home for 33 years. Finally, even his father turned against him when Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on the cross, his lips were cracked, his mouth was dry, his throat was dry. His voice was so dry he could hardly speak. If you read through the gospel account, you see the last time Jesus had water is when he was in that room with his upper room with his disciples sharing the bread and wine of the new covenant but on that cross he was abandoned he was exiled he was alone but the promise of God the word of the Lord remains forever the promise of God is confirmed by the fact that on that that Jesus that word of God in the flesh was raised on the third day. He came once. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he promises to take us with him to eternal glory. He said, in my father's home, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He told us our citizenship is not in heaven. For we have a building from God, a house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. It's not a dorm room or a barracks or student housing. It's not a Super 8 or a Holiday Inn or a Hilton or the Ritz. It's even better. It's infinitely better. And he's preparing a place for us. It's like when the son, the prodigal son, the sinful son came back and his father welcomed him with clean sandals and a fresh robe, a new ring, a big banquet. The message from the Father is, your price has been paid. The party has been prepared. Your sacrifice has been complete. And the Father says, this son, this daughter of mine was dead, but is alive again. Because the lamb who was slain has begun his reign. Because Jesus, God made flesh on Christmas. 
means exactly this. We're going home. He's coming again, and he will take us to be with him forever. And how can we be sure of that? How can we be exactly sure that that's going to happen? We know that grass withers. We know that a flower fades. But even more importantly, the word of our God shall remain forever. And all of God's people said, 